0: Hey everyone, you're listening to episode number 43 of the Elysium Project podcast, Creative Healing with Melanie Wilde. I'm your host, Brian Johnson. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to like and subscribe and visit us online at www.elysiumproject.ca. Our brand new marketplace is now live with fair trade products and original artwork from individuals all around the world. Your purchases directly support the individuals behind the work, as well as ten percent of every purchase goes towards this year's charity, the Fruit Tree Planting Foundation. www.elysiumproject.ca. Just a quick content warning before we get into this podcast. This episode does contain some descriptions around sexual assault and may not be suitable for all listeners. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. All right, today I am joined in studio at Melanie Wild Studio. Thank you for having me here, Melanie.
1: Yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you for being in my space. I have created this space so that I can create.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful down here. I love all your art and the vibe you got going on. You got your Reiki room back there as well. Yeah, so you're a multi faceted uh healer one could say
1: multi-dimensional being of light Ah, that's wicked yeah the cosmos i landed
0: nice yeah (laughs) so let's let's talk about this we were just discussing before um starting this podcast what what got you into on this journey that you're on and uh into the art therapy which we're going to be talking about today and really what what you're what you're focused on
1: yeah cool um very so much to talk about a whole lifetime of events to talk about um but yeah what I was saying before we started recording is I've been an artist my whole life and um I got that from my grandma who I didn't get along with and then my nana on my maternal side was like my very spiritual uh, awakened person. And so she was always very connected. She did Reiki. Um, mm. She was always very connected to the spiritual world beyond um, religious context, whereas my grandma was the opposite. So it was like I was in living in this like polarity my whole life mm. as a child. And uh, as I grew up in this polarity and quickly realized that the way society works is to be in the left brain is to be rewarded in life, right? All right? To be focused on, you know making money and mm-hmm. adding everything up properly and crossing <laughs> tying your shoes before you cross the street. and all of those things um, in the masculine and the doing and the left are mm-hmm. like very rewarded in society. And I always questioned my place here because that just never felt good for me. I, uh, I graduated high school early because I hated school so much. Mm. It wasn't because I was smart or, <laughs> or like, excelled. It was just because I wanted to get out of there. And I knew that the only way my parents would let me finish school is if I properly finished it. So I, like, set myself up and did work experience so I could get out of school really quickly. And, and then I didn't really have a plan. Mm. <laughs> but I... Yeah, throughout my adolescence, because I was so in tune with, well, it wasn't that I was so in tune, it was that there was, like, multi-dimensional experiences happening around me that felt really scary to me, but I was told that, to like, you're schizophrenic or you're crazy, mm-hmm. like, if you're, like, hearing voices or, you know, like, there's spirits that are strangling you in your sleep, you know, like, all these things that were happening to me, from like a different kind of outwardly world non-physical that i started suppressing at a really young age because my only real outlet was my nana and my nana lived we grew up i grew up in vancouver on the coast and then when i was 11 we moved to calgary Hmm. and so up until the time i was 11 we were super connected with my entire extended family We saw our family all of the time, both sides of my family. And then when we moved to Calgary, we knew nobody. And so I went from like this really like tribe kind of being raised in a tribe environment to like being really alone. Mm. Um, And, you know, back then there wasn't technology like there is now. So there was no really like form of communication other than the phone. And Mm. when you're an 11-year-old kid, you don't want to talk to your grandma on the phone, right? Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I really like lost my connection with my nana um and that spirit world. And so when I was having all these like spiritual encounters that were like often negative, uh almost demonic in nature. Like I would <laughs> I remember the first time we saw our house that we moved to in Calgary. Um before my parents bought it, we went and did a walk through and the room that was going to be mine cuz I'm the youngest of two. Uh, the smallest room in the house, right? Uh, that was going to be mine. I, I remember walking into that room and I just got this overwhelming feeling of like, no, get mm. out. This is my space. You're not allowed in here. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> Great. <laughs> this is going to be fun that I get to live here and ex- live with whatever's in this room. And then that being for, I think I lived in that house for like eight years, um, that being in that home he he would suffocate me when i was sleeping he would sit on my chest i'd wake up like feeling like so much pressure on my chest like i couldn't i couldn't breathe and or i'd wake up in the middle of the night feeling someone breathing on me mm. uh, and then i'd open my eyes and there would be this like translucent type face just like staring at me mm. between the wall and me like i'd be looking at the wall but he'd be there and or he'd be standing at the end of the bed just watching me all the time like i never really felt comfortable in my home um or in my bedroom and then i also have encounters with like friendly ghosts right mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was two friendly ghosts in the garage of that house that were i called them tricksters cuz they they played tricks they would like My dad, super non-woo-woo, right? Very traditional (laughs) man. Uh, They would mess with him all the time Mm. because they would get under his skin, right? Mm. And get a rise out of him. It was really funny because I thought I was always (laughs) laughing. They would like open the garage door in the middle of the night and then he would get pissed (laughs) and run down the stairs, grab a baseball bat and start yelling. Um, And then the garage door would just close while he was going down the stairs. Mm. And then it would close. Or there was one time (laughs) there was a bolt... Um, missing from my mom's spoiler in the back of her car there was Mm -hmm. just one random bolt missing and it had been missing for two weeks and then one day she went downstairs to go to work in the morning opened the garage door and the bolt was sitting on the hood of her car that she had been driving for two weeks oh really yeah <laughs> so they're were like we're just gonna make my dad crazy because he went looking for this bolt right <laughs> like where is this bolt like couldn't find it so so i had experiences my whole life with like negative entities and positive entities yeah and um for the most part i didn't know what to do with that right i was like um this is crazy right because i was told it was crazy um so suppress it right Mm. don't talk about it with anyone don't tell anybody what's going on just pretend like it's not real and it's not there and you'll be fine and so i started like building up a defense mechanism against them where anytime a entity beyond uh physical form would come into my uh awareness i would just ask them to leave I would tell them, hey, look, I can't help you. Um, you got to go. And for the most part, they would leave unless they were, of course, demonic. Then I ran into some pretty scary situations as a... Um, young adult who was very depressed because the entities feed off of energy right Mm -hmm. so if you're like in a really positive place in your life you're gonna attract really positive entities into your life and if you're in a really negative place in your life you're gonna attract more negative uh into your life right so uh yeah when i was 20 i think 21 22 maybe i had a demon try to Enter my body. I don't know how else to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was drunk, passed out at a party, um, I and I went to bed early because again that experience where I went, went went into a room and was like, "No, you're not welcome here." Mm-hmm. I went into this home and was like, "No, you're not welcome here. Get out." And I was like, "Okay, well." <laughs> I can't like I'm staying the night here mm. my wife now w- she was my brand new girlfriend at the time and it was I was meeting her friends for the first time I was gonna be like oh sorry guys I can't be here there's a demon in your house that doesn't <laughs> want me here like yeah crazy so I uh I kept it to myself or whatever and then I went to bed early and then I woke up in the mid. well I I I'll explain it from two perspectives from my perspective and my wife's perspective because my perspective was I was dreaming, right? So in my dream, I sit up in the living room on the pullout sofa bed um, and I look and there's a demon who's like basically just this like black cloud kind of slightly formed body with talon feet. So mm. he had like big, huge like eagle talon black feet, <laughs> but he was all smoke. And and in, in everything was the same as if it was real, um, in the room so I sat up in the bed and I looked at it and I said what I always say you know my defense like hey I can't help you you got to go right mm-hmm. and then he didn't leave <laughs> I was like okay you got to go I can't help you you got to go so I kept just repeating myself over and over and over again and then the entity moved closer and closer to me and then involuntarily my arms just like rose straight in front of me and then the black smoke of this entity started creeping up my arms and then i was screaming at this point i was no longer trying to negotiate and tell them to leave i was just trying to scream uh and then the voice right stops those dream paralysis where you can't move Mm. and you can't Mm -hmm. talk right um and so i so then there was nothing and then the next thing i know is i'm being baby shook by my now wife my brand new girlfriend Mm. at the time uh she's, like, baby-shaking me in the bed. um, And I come to, and I'm like, whoa, what, like, what's going on? And she's like, you just sat up in the bed. You were speaking some weird language. I don't understand. Like, it was a full-blown dialect. um, And, like, it was really scary. So, yeah, I stayed awake for the rest of the night there. And as soon as the sun got up, I was like, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I was in a really dark place in my life at that Mm. point. So, I think that when... You attract, you know, what you put out. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: back then I didn't really know what was going on other than like there was very, I was very aware to me that there was a spiritual world. There was an etheric realm in which that matter didn't exist and it was just energy. Mm -hmm. So I was always aware of that my whole life. Um, And then as I grew into this awareness and this understanding through a really dark night of the soul and depressive state, in my early 20s where you know like I tried to commit suicide multiple times and like all sorts of things had happened and um and then I had my daughter so I'm in a same-sex marriage and so conceiving a child in a same-sex marriage is a little bit more difficult Mm -hmm. uh than in a heterosexual marriage because we're missing a key element of the of the juice (laughs) yeah So, uh, our conception story was really long and painful, and it was not as easy as I. And thought it was going to be I was like oh we'll just go buy some sperm on the internet and boom bing bang boom you know like my whole <laughs> life they told me don't get pregnant be scared you're going to get pregnant if you have un- unprotected sex right and mm. so it it's going to be easy and no it wasn't it took us two years and so that was like a whole dark night of the soul for me of like something that I really wanted and felt mm. like I was never going to get and it was like a huge aspect of how I envisioned my life was to be a mother and so, while I was going through that process, I really like handed my life over to God because mm-hmm. um, in my youth, it was really interesting my my parents weren't religious at all. um My mom was spiritual and open to spirituality, but she wasn't religious. um she watched a lot of oprah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but uh, so I started going to church by myself as like I think I was thirteen or fourteen, okay uh. I started going to church with some friends, uh, and I went to church like three times a week throughout my teenage adolescence. Okay. I was like in youth group. I, I did all of the church stuff and I like, I really developed a connection with Jesus while I was going to church, um, and found like community there before I like really started investigating more of what was going on with religion and it's, you know, evil roots, um, but it provided me that sense of, like, there is more beyond the physical world, mm-hmm. right? Like, it really gave me that landing ground and that connection with God and Jesus. Um, And so as I developed this relationship with my spirituality through church, I then started witnessing a lot of friends die at really young ages. Like, because mm. I was, this was between the ages of, like, 14 and... 17 probably and i lost like five wow five young people in my life uh that were friends in like really traumatic ways Mm -hmm. right drinking and driving or my one friend had a brain aneurysm he was like 13 and suicides and like all sorts of really crazy ways that my friends were dying um when i was really young so i got really angry Mm -hmm. right um like why are my friends dying we're young we're children like this is like, if there's a God, then why is he letting this happening kind of mentality, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is bullshit. Um, and so then I kind of turned my back to God, mm-hmm. right? I was like, fuck that. This isn't real because of, like, why would these bad things be happening, right? Mm-hmm. Really surface level understanding of of God and creator. and, But I was a kid and didn't know. So turned my back and then I went in through, like, my really depressive state of, like, alcohol abuse and drug abuse and... Mm-hmm. Uh, came real close to, like, sex ring, prostitution stuff, with, mm-hmm. and, like, I... um, Yeah, I went down a really dark path, and then bringing me back to, like, where I left off with conceiving my daughter, uh, I was so desperate, right? So from, like, the time of, of 17, 18, turning my back on God to where I'm probably now sort of trying to have her when I was, like, 26 or 27, um, and... And then I was like, okay, well, I I can't do this by myself, right? Because I've been trying to do it by myself and I've been doing all the things. The doctor said, stop smoking weed, stop drinking alcohol. I stopped smoking weed. I stopped drinking alcohol. You know, time your ovulation, f- f- put all these like scientific pieces together and it'll work. And... And then and in the scans, there was nothing wrong with me, like physically on a biological level. There was nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with the sperm. There's nothing wrong with my uterus. It was just not working. Mm. Um, Every insemination we did, like it just wasn't working. So I was like, okay, well, I clearly can't do this on my own because I'm doing all of the masculine, all of the left brain stuff uh, and it's not working. Mm. So I was like, okay, God, if you're there, uh, I'm sorry, Right. Like, I'm sorry that I, I distrusted you, and I um, handed my life back over to him or her or them. or
0: mm-hmm. A higher power. The all as well. of yeah.
1: all, right? It's genderless. It's just, it's just all. It's just love. Right? Totally. It's like, what I've come to understand and learn now that I've developed my spiritual awareness and insight is that God is not some, like, man in the sky, but it's just love, right? Um, And so I turned my life over to that power to that power of love. Mm -hmm. Um, And I asked, please, please give me this child. And I did and I got and I received. And uh, it was it was in the most it was my first experience of complete surrender. Um, where I was like, I surrender. I don't know what I'm doing. I give it all to you. Please take over. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and it worked. And the very last time we tried to get pregnant, uh, was on my 27th birthday and I smoked probably 27 joints. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah i drank and i had a huge house party and all my best friends were there and we drank and partied and my friend the donor of our daughter he came over the next day and left his uh donation for us and i got pregnant and two weeks later i was pregnant with a positive test so uh that was my first like real like okay Hmm. if I just like surrender and if I just really truly believe that there is something bigger than me um then it will all work out and it did and that was and then when I was pregnant i really cultivated my spiritual relationship with my my higher self
2: my mm-hmm. chakra
1: system my god Jesus like all of these like things i just dove all in and learned everything I could possibly learn about spirituality and then I started meditating like two hours every day once octavia was alive so every t- day she would nap for two hours i was she was I'm a wonderful baby mm-hmm. um so she napped for two hours every day for three years and so for three years every day i meditated for two hours in silence like i didn't follow guides i just mm-hmm. you know i set my timer and i focused on my breath and my mind would wander and I would call it back and my mind would wander and I would call it back until eventually I got to a point where my mind stopped wandering and all of a sudden two hours went by in a blink of an eye and then I started realizing time travel and all sorts of stuff but oh yeah bring this back to art therapy (laughs) so I I um been painting my whole life right so throughout this like being in this left brain world right I never felt like it was right for me. It never fit in. And so I dove in. I always painted, you know. I always tell my clients, when you're sad, like when you're really sad, when like you're really emotional, when something's really going on in your life, like you're not reaching for a calculator. You're reaching for a song. You're mm. reaching for a paintbrush. Mm-hmm. You're reaching for movement. Right. You're reaching for the right brain stuff.
0: Yeah. Creation. Creativity.
1: Yeah and poetry right like these are the things that we reach for when we're sad and so in my dark night of the soul like basically all of my 20s I was really sad and so I painted a lot right because that was my way of escaping the left brain I painted to go into my right where I could time travel where like literally the blink of an eye would go by but really it was four hours that I just got lost without thought, without the left mm-hmm. brain, without the anxiety. And I just got lost in whatever it was that I was creating. Um, and so that's like what I like to offer for my clients is a way to shut that left brain down and really get lost in the right and give yourself permission that like, hey, we need this balance. Yeah, we need the left brain. Yeah, we need to go to work on time and we need to make money and pay our bills. Mm-hmm. But we also need a space to feel sad also need a space to feel okay
0: feel feelings in general yeah
1: yeah just to feel right (laughs) and so i'm i've opened up this world to my clients of you know my medicine what brought me through all Mm -hmm. of these suicidal episodes and the, the this is my medicine is creating art and so in 20 so i started doing paint night events when i was a young mom there uh at the bar because I worked at bars, so I was always working at the bar. And then I was like, well, I'll do paint night stuff. It'll be different. I won't be serving alcohol. will just <laughs> be teaching people how to paint. And it was fun. I really liked it. Um, and then I would have some really cool mixed reviews or observations that I would make over the clientele that was coming to these paint nights. Lots of people would come with their group on tickets and paint and have fun and whatever didn't take it seriously. But then there would be these other two aspects of people where there would be people that would come and they would get so upset that they couldn't paint what I painted, that Mm. their art sucked, right? Mm. Like they would just be so mad at themselves, like... How come I can't do that? What is wrong with me? Like, And it would literally have people break down and cry at like a $20 Groupon event. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, there, this is really interesting, right? And then on the other end, I would have people that would be like, whoa, I didn't know I could paint. <laughs> <laughs> and whoa, two hours just went by. How did that happen? I didn't know I needed this. I completely forgot about everything going on in my life. Mm. So I was like, okay, there's a need for this. There's a need for a spiritual divergence Of this, of like, take it out of the bar and like, let's make this medicine. Yeah. Right. And so I created this studio. Right. And then I started trying to find ways to help people move from the left brain to the right brain uh where they didn't get stuck on like my tree doesn't look like your tree, right? Like mm. my cow doesn't look like a cow, right? So it's like I wanted to move out of like that sort of paint style into like more of an abstract paint style where it was more free-flowing uh, and there was less rules. Cause that's where people get stuck in that left brain. It's like the rules told me I can't do it this way. Yeah. And then we lose that element of flow. So then I discovered paint pouring. Um and that was where everything kind of took off for me was through paint pouring because it's such an abstract form and the, the connection between um, spirituality and paint pouring and like God and co-creation and paint pouring is, it's blows my mind how this all comes to be because what happens when you create a paint pour is like, there's like left brain stuff of it. Like you got to pick your colors, you got to mix the ratios like baking the same amount and blah 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 there's like all this left brain stuff of like you get to control as the creator as the physical vessel of creating this physical piece of art and then there's this element of like the ethereal this element of letting go because once you pour the paint on the canvas you kind of have to just step back and watch you don't really you don't get to say how it looks hmm. so your co-creation is picking the colors and then god's co-creation is picking the outcome mm-hmm. right and so it's a really cool aspect when you're dealing with people that are going through shit and and especially control issues is like, how can I be okay with the outcome of this, whether it's what I want or not?
0: Totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like God is God, we'll use that word um openly, is kind of the ultimate artist. And when I, I would agree when I'm doing art i just feel so connected and uh in such a deep state of meditation it's really for me like the purest state of um meditation and i can really relate to your personal journey i think a lot of people will be able to as well and obviously do which is why they're seeking out art therapy is we live in a very left brain centered analytical world and um as I continue to do these podcasts and talk to more and more people in general, particularly lately, now that COVID's hopefully kind of behind us and the world's opened up a bit more, just a sense within people of feeling disconnected in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I really believe that like through art is a way to open up that that right side of the brain and that creativity. And it's hard for me to really... Put a finger on what it is, which is why we're having this conversation because I really, same as you, you know, I didn't grow up in a religious family. I wasn't exposed to that um, or spirituality or anything, but I was always a creative individual and my my dad was more so like wanting me to you know get the get a degree and go do you know the the house the job the the whatever yeah yeah and it was just like it never resonated with me and I dealt with also a lot of mental health and, and addiction and all sorts of stuff because of that because I felt out of line but there was something always when Within whether it was art or music that I I just felt so uh, in alignment with who I am as a person, and that's kind of like what I was just saying with this. As as I talk to more and more people, I think that society as a whole feels very disconnected because um, in the West here, unless unless you are brought up in a religious household and and usually in the West that Christianity is what is offered, mm-hmm. then people we've kind of abandoned that sense of spirituality and it's it's who we are right so totally to recon- yeah to reconnect with that as you've alluded to there's there's this huge awakening going on between people who are pulling away from hey this like you said we said the list there that's just that's not that's not my life that's, there's got to be more to it than this and uh and really, it's, it's happening, so...
1: Oh, yeah. It's, hap- it's, it's insane how quickly it's happening, too. Honestly, I think COVID has really amplified mm-hmm. the, the timeline of that awakening for people because it really brought us into ourselves. Mm-hmm. So many of us had to sit alone, right? I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> how many people sit alone with their thoughts, mm. right? How many... Like, most people... That are dealing with anxiety or depression, if they sit alone too long with their thoughts, they find a task, Hmm. right? they got to get out of the mind. So they find something to do instead of to be, right? What happens if I just be with these uncomfortable feelings? What Mm -hmm. happens if I let them sit here? What happens if I question these feelings and these thoughts, right? And so that happened, because we were forced into this period of isolation, mm-hmm. right? And so I think, like, the the grand scheme of everything kind of backfired on the major players up mm-hmm. above is that they weren't expecting this spiritual awakening to come forward. And there's a lot of elements that happened with that on, like, a larger scale that I could get down every rabbit hole with you ever there was. <laughs> but to bring it back, like, what you were saying about, you know... Growing up and feeling like, hey, this wasn't, you know, this like checklist, this this list of things, these accomplishments (laughs) that I'm supposed to move through, it just doesn't feel like that's my purpose. Mm -hmm. And then you found your safety and you found your flow and you found your sense of beingness through art, right? Mm -hmm. Through the right brain. And that's where we're our most powerful, right? As spiritual beings, as energetic beings, because I think... Most people now know, well, I'd like to assume or give benefit of the doubt that most people now know that there is no such thing as matter, and everything is just energy. Mm -hmm. And so when you take away the matter of it all, what are you? What do you have? And so that's just kind of something where like my business and and what my mission i shouldn't even say business my mission here on earth Mm. is to bring that awareness back to help cultivate that sense that safe space to be in your beingness and not in your doingness but be okay with whatever feelings come up if you're angry like be okay with your anger right instead of like trying to outwardly express your anger how can i or internalize your anger how can i sit with my anger and be okay with my anger and acknowledge that my anger is coming from a really real place right and how can i heal that root cause and so through art like i i open up this really safe channel and space for people to move from that left brain into the right brain where they are feeling safe to be um, and they don't, they're not thinking about everything they have to do when they get home or everything that they didn't do before they left. Like they're, they're really in the now moment. Um, and that's where, that's where healing happens. That's where we can mm. transform ourselves. And so I also do Reiki work and energy work. Um, and like, this is just, this is a huge part of like, this is why I'm here on planet earth is really to make it better, make it better. And I I feel really blessed that, all of the like darkness that i've gone through has led me here because we all every single one of us there's not a not a single human being that gets by life unscathed mm-hmm. right like we all go through shit and when we can <laughs> just like be open and honest and real with each other about it like yeah i did some shit <laughs> like <laughs> it was not good but i made those choices because i was in a place of ego Right? That I was unconscious to. I didn't know there was a difference between self and ego. I thought we were. I thought the ego was the self. Yeah. I didn't know that. So you make these choices in your ego because your ego is ultimately trying to protect you. Right? So you lash out at family members and you lash out at friends and you steal and you cheat and you lie and you do all these things because you're trying to protect yourself. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And then you can come into a safe space and you can be like, I did these bad things and I'm so sorry. Yeah, and you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, "I'm really sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I put I put us through that." And also, thank you for keeping me safe. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I don't. This kind of went off on a whole tangent there.
0: (laughs) No, that's great. (laughs) I I feel like as humans, just naturally, we have such tunnel vision, and we're we're only here in these bodies for a very short period of time comparatively so given however much time that is you know i'm 37 now but the as as we discussed earlier over the past like 100 years people have been very disconnected from uh their spirituality i think it's with the industrial revolution and computers mm-hmm. and technology it's all about and and free market capitalism it's all about growth for the sake of growth and and money and there's an emptiness in that and unsustainability within that that if we just keep doing that we're we're really as a species not going to be here for too much longer it's just it's not hasn't ultimately been working out so we have to find another way out of that and another way to connect to ourselves and each other Mm -hmm. and our higher power so i think yeah. Yeah. What like when you were having that, that spiritual awakening and you were coming out of that really dark place, what were some of it? were you I don't know, did you go to like recovery programs or how yeah. did you find that that higher power?
1: Well, so yeah, there was a so the biggest thing that kind of changed the directory of my life is that I was sexually assaulted mm. when I was twenty. I think I was 20. I might have been 21. It doesn't matter. Um, anyway, so I was sexually assaulted. And like prior to that event, I my parents got divorced when I was 19, which really threw me through a loop because like I did not see that coming. Um, my parents got divorced. The guy that I was dating who, you know, my high school puppy love, you know, I'm going to marry you. We're going to be together <laughs> forever. You know, my first love, uh, him and I broke up. Uh, his mom got diagnosed with cancer she mm. was dying my other friend had just committed suicide like there was all this like stuff that was really like unraveling mm-hmm. in my life um and then I was like I went into like this like binge drinking and drug abuse and like all I was doing was just blacking out mm. um so that I didn't have to feel yeah and uh, and then I so I was living in Vancouver and then I moved back to Calgary because I got uh asked to leave the university i was at because i was not doing so great Mm. (laughs) because i was too busy drinking (laughs) and not going to class so i moved back to calgary and moved back in with my mom which was what a trip um and then i went out with a girlfriend from high school that night and i drank to blackout i was back at the roadhouse days (laughs) And they had, I think it was like $3 triples. It was like <laughs> so illegal and stupid that they could serve that alcohol amount of alcohol to 18-year-olds. Yeah. But they did. And I was blacked out. And the next thing I know is that I um, am on a couch and I'm being sexually assaulted by some mm. man that I don't, I can't, the lights were out. I couldn't see anything um and then I kind of my body there's like all the trauma responses like the four like fight flight freeze and fawn like those are the four main trauma responses and so my trauma response that I learned that night was freeze um which then causes like all this like whole spiral of like like I froze I was just like if I just stay still it'll be done and then I can escape right but like that my body like physically i was like in my mind i'm having this conversation like just stay still and it'll be over and then you can get out and then but then i'm like no fight you're a fighter right you're a fighter and then but my body like physically wouldn't move like i tried to lift my arms they would not move they just hung there they just Mm -hmm. nothing would move and so i waited it out and then he finished what he needed to do and then i got up and went into the other room and called a friend um and then that kind of spiraled and it was like six in the morning and i ended up back at my mom's house and next thing i know i'm at the hospital and getting a raped kit and cops are there and Mm -hmm. it just kind of like everything spiraled from there is like this whirlwind of like completely out of control of my life Mm -hmm. out of control of my body out of control of my life everything was just awful I just wept. I've never been so depressed, so suicidal. Like, I didn't know what who I was and why I was here. I was like, if I can't control my body, the one thing mm. that I should have full freedom to control, if I can't even control my body, then why am I here? Like, these are the thoughts that were going through my mind back then, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, if my body, anyone can just have my body, why do I even have it if it's mm. not mine, right? Right. So I was super suicidal, um, attempted suicide multiple times after that. And uh, then I started seeing a therapist because I had to go to court because my mom insisted that um, we took it to court because she was being a mama bear. Right. And wanted to protect me and find justice. And I was like, I don't really want to go to court and relive this experience over and over and over again. And I ended up going to trial twice which i had to tell my story twice to a room full of strangers and like full explicit detail you know like oh, it's yeah. so uncomfortable yeah. like hey tell me about the best sex you've ever had <laughs> like it feels uncomfortable mm-hmm. to tell that story now you're going you're going to ask a woman to tell her story about the mm-hmm. worst sex she's ever had mm-hmm. in front of a room of strangers who are literally there judging her
0: mm. Right? It's like the whole Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Yeah, what a, what a joke that was. Yeah, Just I tried to like
1: dis- I tried to disconnect as much as possible to that, but yeah. it, it's honestly it the justice system. That's a whole other yeah. podcast, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so in preparation for this trial, I was like, Okay, hey, I need to go to therapy because I'm gonna have to talk about this in front of people, and I can't even talk about it to the mirror. Like, I couldn't mm-hmm. even. I couldn't even say the word rape. Like, I couldn't." Yeah. I was so disconnected from my body. So I was yeah. like, I need to go to therapy. So I went to a couple therapists. It took me a little bit to find like the therapist. Yeah. Which, if you're listening and you're looking for therapy, don't just take what you get. Like, find that person. Totally. That yeah. you really connect and resonate yeah, it's with. That's really important. Yeah, it really is. And so I found Marnie. God bless her soul. She saved my life. Um, and then I started seeing Marnie pretty regularly and um the crown prosecution i had a gentleman and a woman who were in my defense or whatever for the trial and they were like amazing they were so good to me and so so um yeah so i started going to therapy and i really started doing forgiveness work
0: uh um mm-hmm.
1: through Powerful. therapy yeah so I um I had to forgive my rapist. Like I had to really forgive him because eventually, like the it took about three years for the court to Yeah go through all it's multiple trials and proceedings and all of it. Mm. And he was he was let off. And uh, it was really interesting because this was before the whole Me Too movement. So I was thinking about mm. like what would have happened had that Me Too movement Happened before my trials. I think he would have gone to jail. Because ultimately the jurors decided not to. Pro- not to mm-hmm. Find him guilty. Uh, because they agreed that the sex happened. But the. The issue was. Whether or not it was consensual. But like I was like. Blackout drunk. There was barf. <laughs> like my barf. Mm. All over that basement suite. Of this person's house. Mm. That I was in. Like. There was more than enough evidence. I remember I was on trial and like his defense attorney, I had everyone laughing. I'm really funny. (laughs) (laughs) I had everyone laughing because his defense attorney was like, well, how much did you have to drink? So you had this drink and this drink and this drink and this drink. And I was like, yeah, I had a lot. And I don't remember how many I had because I was blackout drunk. Do you think I could give consent while I was blackout drunk?
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: Like... Because I get really feisty, so I was yelling back at the defense attorney. Because they're like... They say it's like... They, they put you in corners, hey? I don't know if you've ever been on trial. Mm. They're not nice to you. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so I started doing forgiveness work. And then um, with Marnie and she... And I had a dream that I went into a classroom, which was really interesting. And my rapist was sitting at a desk. And he had his hands... Like, he had his head on the desk and his, like, arms over his head like he was sulking. Hmm. And so I sat at the desk in front of the one that he was sitting at. And I turned around and faced him. And I told him I forgave him.
2: Hmm.
1: I was like, I I forgive you. And it's not because you're worthy of forgiveness. But it is because I can no longer and I will no longer carry your shame. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and I forgave him, like I really did, because mm-hmm. ultimately I had to um I had no choice. it was either I live in a suicidal, depressive state of like no ownership of my own body for the rest of my life, and feeling like this man has control over me for the rest of my life, or I just forgive him and close the chapter, right. Mm-hmm. And so that was like, that was profound to mm-hmm. move through that. And Marnie really helped me through that. She held my hand through all of that process. And, and she, she actually introduced me to crystals. Okay. So she gave me a rose quartz crystal that I held on to through every trial. Like it was in my pocket. I don't, I gave it to someone. I don't know who I, I can't remember who I gave it to, but, um, I was done with it. So I, I let it move on. And, uh. That I think that was really where my spiritual journey was like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do better. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be better. Um, I'm not gonna attract this into my life anymore, Mm. right? And I started meditating again, and I meditated in the bath a lot, and but I mostly did everything on my own. Like for the most part, I had my I had Marnie, but I was also in like I'm a lesbian, so I was in this like LGBT queer community and there's a lot of suffering and like there's a lot of attachment to suffering mm-hmm. in that community where it's like almost like the more sad and depressed you are like the better off it is the more you have to <laughs> complain about the better off you are right like let's all just like be a cesspool of crying and pain mm. together and we'll lean on each other's pain and be in pain and so i didn't really feel like i had anyone to <clears throat> talk to you about getting better
2: mm. right yeah because
1: everyone there just wanted to stay sad and angry and place blame on the outside world and so i just i really went in and that was when i cultivated my relationship with god i called culti- love like really like that's all and like, a lot of people get triggered by the word god because mm-hmm. of religious connotations but when i say god like you have to know what i mean by god is like literally love totally in its purest form the, like i get goosebumps saying that like when i channel god when i'm working with energy when i'm working in reiki I'm like I, I channel pure love energy and that's what everything is made out of and so including my rapist, including my pain, like everything is made out of love mm-hmm. and so when I can get back to the origin of of the love, you know like my rapist he he did what he did because he needed to he needed to live through that experience yeah I needed to live through that experience and it was all. So we could come back to love, Mm -hmm. right? It
0: takes a really high level of consciousness to come to that awareness that you're at where you can forgive and and you can understand that the the duality, I suppose, of the light and darkness. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think what I'm hearing a lot in your story and and what you do is working with these energies and knowing how to kind of channel them properly through your creativity, through Reiki. Um, And that i i really feel that that's there's so many energies at play in the world right now and suppressed energies and suppressed traumas from generations Mm -hmm. and it's all kind of coming to surface and people are like whoa what what's what's this and what do i do with this and how do i process this and uh that's what i'm really hearing in this conversation today and i love it because um it's it's not going away there's all no. the all these traumas from generations past and our own lives they're all coming to surface and we have to learn how to properly process them
1: alchemize it
0: exactly yeah yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely that's why we're all here that's why our generation and our children like that's why we're here mm-hmm. that's why like all these big shifts on the planet that seems so scary and like up my ears started ringing. I'm getting all of the psychic mm-hmm. downloads today. Um, All of this stuff is happening for our highest good, mm-hmm. right? And like while it feels incredibly painful and scary and discombobulating while we move through this like frequency of change and turmoil, it ultimately is for our highest good. It ultimately is so we can come back to love. Totally,
0: yeah. There's a quote that I like. I don't know who originally said it, but it's kind of like, no one is so enlightened that they're beyond working on themselves. And it really resonates true with me because, mm-hmm. um, my spiritual journey, I came from, I've studied a lot of Buddhism, and that's of course all about you, you know, you're trying to achieve enlightenment and be this perfect, uh, loving being and stuff. Yeah. But like, it, and that's wonderful, of course, but life is inherently, um, there's twists and turns and shit happens so to speak for lack of a better word and uh this sort of learning to how to manage that energy that's constantly changing. We're constantly going to be thrown curveballs and dealt and dealt with situations that we don't quite we're not sure how to handle. So it's never ending. Learning how to manage this energy and process it and and healing even from something something little that might have just happened yesterday and it's still yeah. weighing on our conscience. Well, maybe we need to process that. Maybe we need to do some art or some reiki or whatever it is to yeah. to kind of. Yeah, deal with that so, to be
1: okay with the like the feeling of discomfort. Yeah,
0: exactly, the feelings and that yeah. is uh yeah, that's something that um that I'm learning in my own life because like I say I came from that that Buddhist background where it's like you're you're trying to find enlightenment and stuff and I don't know when it was but at some point I'm like, well, I'm never going to I'm never going to be like Buddha or Jesus or whatever. I'm never going to be this perfect being and it's great that we have those those um can't think of the word i'm looking for about role models to look Mm -hmm. up to um but i'm a human being and i'm imperfect and every day i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna make mistakes i'm gonna sin right yeah yeah, and being able to come to the place where i can forgive myself and forgive others and come back to that what what we talked about there god god is love and if we can come to that space of love and learning to do that as a society and as a world more Because I I really do feel that this, especially in the West here, over the last 100 years, we just disconnected from spirituality. A lot of people maybe don't resonate with Christianity, which, which our society was more or less founded on. So they pulled away from that and they became maybe an atheist or agnostic, but then they're like that doesn't quite feel right there's got to be something more than that mm-hmm. and so we're all kind of coming back to this space of unconditional love whether that's through a religion or through <laughs> just art like like i said i feel most spiritually connected when i'm doing art yeah i, I can do there's
1: no difference between, there is no difference between spirituality and art mm-hmm. it is one
0: totally yeah it is all one
1: it is all one <laughs> well, like it's it's That's all it is. I love it. I love creating. I love witnessing other people create. Yeah. It's probably like one of my biggest joys in what I do is watching grown-ass men Uh jumping for joy at their creations.
0: Yeah. I bet you have lots of cool stories and witness it all the time. You know, people having, breaking down into tears maybe when they're...
1: Absolutely. Of like, whoa. (laughs) Why the past hundred years, why we've been so, so conditioned to be um, apart from ourselves? Mm-hmm. Like, there's like this separation. And, like, what you were saying about being like this state of enlightenment, it's impossible. We didn't come to Earth to be enlightened. We were already enlightened before yeah. we came. Yeah. We came to Earth to experience the mm-hmm. ego, mm-hmm. to master and alchemize. The ego to be yeah. with it to learn from it right and so it's like you get these spiritual teachers who are like no you got to ascend and be above the ego and <laughs> not allow it to no that's not why we're here if mm-hmm. we wanted to not be without an ego we wouldn't have come to earth yeah because that's yeah. why I...
0: <laughs> it's what i it's probably one of my biggest uh life lessons i've learned is to humble myself because i think when i was in my early twenties and experiencing a spiritual awakening and stuff, I almost had this like savior complex, like, Oh, I'm just, I'm going to become Buddha or whatever (laughs) and just save the world. And as I get older, the more I realize, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm so imperfect and I've got all these flaws and stuff and that's okay. That's beautiful. The perfection is the imperfection and just, um, this whole journey with this podcast every podcast i have these discussions and they're just so beautiful and learning having a better understanding for who i am as a person who the other person is and how we all fit together in this journey of of life and embodying yeah who we are it's beautiful yeah
1: it really is it's really cool to like to be okay with the all of you
0: it is right
1: Not just the like enlightened spiritual good guy, but like the guy that gets road rage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I, oh shit, I just yelled at that lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoops. But like, also, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Like, look, I'm in this lane, right? Yeah. Like, it's okay. We're allowed to be angry.
0: Yeah. Feel our feelings and just yeah. uh, be able to process them in the healthiest way possible. So, totally. There's a. Uh, yeah, such a growing community of people who are having that awareness and and um healing and doing the work on their themselves and together and as a collective. So it's really beautiful.
1: It really is. Yeah. It's really cool to like to be a part of. Like cuz I'm just like I just see myself as such a multidimensional being of like coming here and I like see people like you and everyone else in this like spiritual community that um is really trying to make the world a better place and like it, it's really an honor to be a part of that and like even with my clients like you know like there is no there's no like hierarchy that I experience like I learned so much from my clients yeah you know it's yeah. like we're all just friends.
2: That's
0: why I do this, cause, and I like to bring people on, such as yourself and other people who specialize in their certain thing. Learn what it is that that makes them tick, what they're bringing to this world, and have that conversation. And it's just, it's, uh, and that's that's what fills my heart. So yeah,
1: well, thank you, thank yeah. you for having me. And
0: yeah, thank you so much for coming on and being yeah. so open to share share your story. The vulnerability, I think, is a big thing, yeah. and uh, it sets. It paves the way for other people to come out and maybe be like, you know, I'm not okay or I've dealt with this, that's you know that yeah. really sucked, but there is there is hope, always hope. Always. You can always come back to that place of love and healing and um,
1: um I think the best teachers, like really the best teachers leaders are the ones that just go first. It's not like telling you how to do it, it's just showing you. Mm-hmm. Right? I yeah. I <laughs> university and I uh, took a lot of leadership courses and I I also studied a lot of uh, world leaders like Hitler and Stalin Mm. like how leaders really come to power and like really it is it is really just about embodiment like it's not telling people how to live their lives it's just living yours and showing them and coming from that place of vulnerability you know mm-hmm. like me telling my story gives someone else permission to tell theirs. Mhm.
2: Totally. Me
1: telling my story candidly and openly gives the 10-year-old version, older younger version of me permission to tell her story. Totally. Right? Like yeah. I'm just that that's how we that's how we change the world yeah. one person at a time being okay with be, being at fault, being okay with not being perfect. Being okay with saying, I need to do better and I can do better.
2: Yeah.
0: Excellent. Well said. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. That was a beautiful discussion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, yeah, keep doing what you do.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, thank you, Melanie.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave us a review. You can find us online at www.elysiumproject.ca.